are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Tuesday, June 20th, and this is the KVMR Evening News. I'm Claudio Mendoza. Levy failures earlier this year left two California towns in desperate need of state funding. The California Report explores how both of these communities are pushing to get help in the state budget. After regional news and weather, hydrogeologist Steve Baker explains how despite a record snowpack, low flows in the Colorado River may affect all Californians. Mark Cuniverti closes our newscast with a commentary about the importance of timely communication in today's business climate. This is the California Report. I'm Mavi Bolaños in San Francisco. President Joe Biden is in the Bay Area this week, and his first stop Monday was in Palo Alto to announce $600 million in grants for coastal communities to combat climate change. KQED's Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez has more. Biden stood alongside Governor Gavin Newsom before the 1,900 acres of salt marshes at the Baylands Nature Preserve, a natural barrier to flooding from the rising bay. Biden said his new investment would let communities shape their own climate change solutions, including making natural buffer zones like this one more resistant to floods and fires. Just last week across the, the East Coast and Midwest, we saw what you've already seen here in California. Millions of Americans sheltering indoors, the air not safe to breathe, orange haze covering the sky. It's incredible. Biden said government is sharing cutting-edge technology, first used in California, throughout the country and Canada to detect wildfires early. For the California Report, I'm Joe Fitzgerald Rodriguez. The president is scheduled to meet with researchers and advocates with expertise in artificial intelligence in San Francisco today. Meanwhile, Republican presidential candidate Ron DeSantis made a stop in Sacramento yesterday for a private fundraiser. The Florida governor didn't speak to the media. He also made campaign stops in the Central Valley and Silicon Valley. It was his first visit to the state since DeSantis and his administration sent three dozen migrants to the state capitol earlier this month. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford Medicine, comprising its School of Medicine and Adult and Children's Health Systems, working together to advance knowledge and improve lives. StanfordMedicine.org. Hint, fruit-infused water with no sugar or diet sweeteners with more than 25 flavors, including watermelon and pineapple, in stores or delivered from HintWater.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. When a levee burst in a January rainstorm in the Central Valley town of Planada, floodwaters wrecked the homes of hundreds of farmworker families. In March, the same thing happened again. A levee failed in the Salinas Valley and inundated the farmworker town of Pajaro. As KQED's senior immigration editor Taiki Hendricks reports, those communities are now pushing to get some real help in the state budget. Anastasio Rosales was not home when the flood hit Planada. He was in Mexico visiting family. Then his sister phoned. It was over three feet high inside the water that got in. 
Water had surged through, destroying furniture, appliances, wiring, and mementos of his late parents, who had purchased the house after years of work in the fields. On one night, everything's washed away. It was devastating, says Rosales, who is 70 and has lived in Planada for 58 years, harvesting sweet potatoes and other crops. As a U.S. citizen, he was able to get emergency aid from FEMA. But at least half of California farm workers are undocumented immigrants, including most of the households in Planada, which means they're not eligible for federal assistance. This all could have been prevented if the proper funding and the proper measurements had taken place way before the flooding. It was long overdue. That's Sarai Ramirez. She's an advocate with the Leadership Council for Justice and Accountability, a Central Valley nonprofit. She says levee repairs were neglected in Planada and in Pajaro, too. These communities hardly see any investments, especially when it comes to infrastructure. This spring, researchers from the UC Merced Community and Labor Center conducted a survey to capture the scope of the losses, homes, vehicles, the school, and the park. The cost of restoring the town? $20 million. Edward Flores is co-director of the Labor Center. He says the disaster in Planada is part of a much bigger problem. Catastrophic wildfires and droughts and Historic floods are indicating that we need to have a different approach to economic and climate resilience if we're going to protect the rights and the well-being of those that are furthest on the margins. And some lawmakers are listening. The budget bill the legislature passed last week includes hundreds of millions of dollars for flood resilience statewide and $20 million specifically for Planada, plus another $20 million for Pajaro. Placing a line item on the state budget for the exact amount that we had estimated was, was needed. This is incredible. Flores credits State Senator Ana Caballero. The night of the Planada flood, she went to the Merced County Fairgrounds and spoke with evacuees. Families left with the pajamas they were wearing. It was heartbreaking. Caballero says she met with Assemblyman Robert Rivas, who represents Pajaro, and they put the aid package in the budget. There's a lot of work to do, but it's a really resilient community and people are working hard to to help each other out. But the budget's not final yet. Lawmakers are in negotiations with Governor Gavin Newsom on how to close a $31 billion shortfall. And the governor has until July 1st to sign the budget. Anastasio Rosales says he wants Newsom to think about the work that he and his neighbors do, growing and picking the state's fruits and vegetables. If someday this governor Newsom comes down here, I wish I could have a word with him. Rosales says he would tell the governor they're not asking to become rich, just to receive the money they need to repair and heal their community. For The California Report, I'm Tyke Hendricks. Another Guinness record was broken out of Southern California. This time, 21-year-old Max Parks smashed the Rubik's Cube world record with a 3.13-second solve for the 3x3x3, also known as the original Rubik's Cube. The previous record was set in China at 3.47 seconds. Parks' dad says they introduced the Rubik's Cube to Park when he was a kid to help with his autism symptoms. 
when he was seven, eight, nine years old. So he couldn't like hold pennies or he couldn't open up a water bottle. I mean, he couldn't do anything with his fingers. The cube itself was just something that was gonna be an exercise. We found out about the Cuban community. We decided to go there and exploit the Cuban community for social reasons. So we could work on Max's social cues. The second competition he ever went to, he won the six by six, which really took us all by surprise. 10 years later, Park has set almost 70 records since competing in speed cubing. And that's the California Report for Tuesday, June 20th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm your host, Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. In regional news, Cal Fire's Nevada Yuba Placer Unit announced in a press release this morning that as of Monday, June 26th, all residential permits allowing the outdoor burning of landscape debris, like branches and leaves, will be suspended within the state responsibility area of Nevada, Yuba, Placer, and Sierra counties. It goes on to explain that warming temperatures and increasing winds are quickly drying out those grasses and other fuels, increasing the risk of fire. CAL FIRE and firefighters across the state have already responded to over 1,600 wildfires this year, all of which in total have burned over 42 acres. Residents are urged to maintain a minimum of 100 feet of defensible space around every structure on their property, and although burning is no longer an option to create that defensible space, CAL FIRE recommends finding alternative ways to dispose of landscape debris, like chipping or hauling it to a green waste facility, and landscaping with fire-resistant plants and non-flammable ground cover. You can learn more about creating defensible space or preparing for wildfires online by visiting readyforwildfire.org. Motorists can expect travel delays along State Route 20 in Nevada County this week as Caltrans crews continue to work on the Omega Curves project, the $62.5 million effort to improve safety and reduce collisions on State Route 20 by realigning curves on two non-contiguous segments of the road, as well as adding left turn lanes and new turnouts. Crews will be working between 6 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. and then from 6 p.m. to 4.30 a.m. Monday through Friday at White Cloud. Construction will also take place at Lowell Hill from 6 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. Delays of up to 20 minutes at each location are to be expected while crews excavate the areas. The project is expected to be completed this fall. Turning now to a look at the regional weather forecast from the National Weather Service in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight clear with a low around 47, Wednesday sunny with a high near 74, Wednesday night mostly clear with a low around 50 degrees. For Truckee and the Lake Tahoe region, tonight clear with a low around 32 degrees, Wednesday sunny with a high near 66 and on Wednesday night, mostly clear, with a low around 36 degrees. For Sacramento and the surrounding valley, tonight clear, with a low around 52. Wednesday brings sunny skies with a high near 84. Wednesday night, mostly clear, with a low around 53 degrees. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR.
increased evaporation and less water available from the Colorado River may lead to severe impacts to the nearly 20 million people served by the Southern California Metropolitan Water District. And all Californians could feel the pinch at the grocery store since the region grows a considerable amount of food. Up next, KVMR's Paul Emery and hydrogeologist Steve Baker discuss what we know now, as well as what Californians can do to prepare for potential water scarcity in our future. This Water News with Steve Baker is supported by Clearwater and Filtration on Rough and Ready Highway, Grass Valley. Steve, the California Delta continues to come up in conversations at the state level and within the Central Valley communities. And at the same time, the Colorado River is also being talked about. What are the statewide concerns about the Colorado? When you realize that 15% of the California surface water comes from the Colorado River, and then you know at the same time that the Colorado River is flowing at a lot lower rates, not so much water is coming down there, and it's not expected to be coming in the future either, then that gives you more than pause because this could be a real problem for everybody in our state. It could be a problem for a lot of reasons. Let's look at the backdrop here, what's going on. We have a snowpack. It's one-third of our supply, okay? And uh, that is big, but we're we're losing it. We've been told that, that it's going to happen through time. This is an exception this year. We will get these anomalies in our weather every so often, but uh, we won't be able to rely on that that storage. Now, the Sacramento-San Joaquin Delta conveys a lot of that water, at least from the Sacramento uh, watershed. And it moves about 1.6 trillion gallons, if you can fathom what that is. That's a huge volume of water. That amount of water goes from Northern California to the south areas. Okay, so there's a lot of dependency of water up here for those living in the southern parts of our state. Now, the Delta also, through the many, many years uh, of uh, development here, has been seriously impacted by pollutants and also by the changes that have occurred in the aquatic habitats of the Delta. Okay, now all that's been amplified when you start diverting more and more and more water south out of the uh, out of the uh, from the delta and then going to those southern areas. So all these are starting to compound themselves, right? Okay, predictions in California weather indicate a lot of uncertainty in precip delivery from one year to the next. So we're talking about higher temperatures. Okay, what's that mean? Increased evaporation. I'm thinking food here. We have a huge water need, and now even more of that's going to go out and disappear from eva- as evaporation. There are higher nighttime temperatures. causes It has its effects on growing our food. And then let's go way south, okay? Let's imagine the Salton Sea. Salton Sea is way bigger, a much bigger water body in California than even Lake Tahoe. Okay, it, it receives most of its water from irrigation returns from the farmers to the north. And those returns are becoming less as farmers get better at using their water and also less water is available to the farmers by Imperial Irrigation District. Now, as that water dwindles down, and it's going to cause more asthma because there'll be more exposure of all those dust and, and decaying things that are at the bottom of the Salton Sea. And that is an issue and all these things at the same time. While they're all happening, we have California's population, right? It's 40 million people right now, and it's expected to increase substantially as we go through into our future. So, all you know, the Colorado River is wrapped into all, all of that. So, if the expected Colorado River water doesn't get to California, who takes the biggest hit? 
the biggest hit will be taken by the farmers of the Imperial Irrigation District. So that's way down there by the Salton Sea. They're so remote from us, so we don't think about that. But uh, uh, district announced last week that those farmers are going to be receiving 10% less water to work with. And, you know, our experience is there's a boatload of water out there, and they're, they're not going to receive 10% of theirs. Uh, Colorado River is a whole different deal. They are, uh, the source of water for that area is solely the Colorado River. It's a big deal. And we see, we hear about Lake Mead and Lake Powell having a lot of difficulty staying full. So as those supplies dwindle and those water levels drop in in both of those uh, reservoirs, they're going to feel it in the Imperial Water District. It's going to be tough. So what will change for California? 19 million people served by the Southern California Metropolitan Water District. They're going to feel the hit because L.A., uses a significant percentage of, of water. I think I've heard something like 20%, something like that. Uh, it comes from the Colorado River. And uh, they're going to have to change how they, they do things. 72% of San Diego's water supply comes from the Colorado River. What's going to happen there? I, I sure hope their desalinization plants uh, can be built more quickly because they're going to have to rely more on that, I think. Uh, the Imperial, as I said earlier, the Imperial Irrigation Water District has only Colorado River water to use. And as that dwindles, uh, any groundwater that may exist is going to become too salty and not very drinkable and certainly not acceptable for growing crops. So they're going to be hit substantially. I mean, the two main farming counties in Southern California that use Colorado River water is the Imperial County and and Riverside County. So we're talking about things like uh, they, they grow sugar beets and midwinter. They grow all kinds of salad vegetables, lettuce and cauliflower, and broccoli, cabbage. You know, then later in the winter, carrots and asparagus. So all this stuff's going to start to disappear as Colorado River water also disappears in that area. So, so who, you know, who takes a hit when Colorado River uh, water disappears from California? Everybody does because uh, they are a part of our food basket. And uh, food's going to have to be imported from other areas, and that'll be at a, at a greater cost. And, of course, Southern California urban areas will also be changing. Oh, Steve, one more question. Yeah. Is it important for our foothill communities uh, to chime in on the Colorado River issues? You know, I believe the answer is yes, but it's really more from an adaptive place. Our food supplies are going to see some changes, all right? And that's going to affect availability. It's going to affect quality of food and also its cost. The Colorado River is the only, is only one of those many changes that are causing this food supply to change. But it's a significant one. So my read is to be adaptive means learn to grow some of the staple foods that you like so much and you eat in your life. Build an infrastructure that supports your gardens, and, and maybe they'll become bigger than gardens. That's okay. Uh, grow more food. And uh, make sure that includes a reliable, sustainable water source. That's what we need to look at. Now, thankfully, the Sierra Foothill communities have a lot of wonderful resources to help up here. So uh, for all you serious gardeners out there and farmers-to-be, have at it. It's going to become quite important. Uh, you're contributing to the adaptive uh, behaviors that we need up here in the Sierra Foothills. Thank you, Steve. Yeah, you bet. Managing groundwater is Steve Baker's career and passion, and that has led him into working on all water sources and supplies. This has been another conversation with KVMR's water guy, Steve Baker. 
You can email him with your questions at water at operationunite.co. Up next, it's Money Matters. In today's edition, Mark Cunaberti explores the sometimes gritty reality of maintaining a business and shares his opinion about what business owners can do to become and remain successful. Welcome to another edition of Money Matters. My name is Mark Cunaberti. Starting a business is hard. Enabling it to survive is even harder. I've started five businesses in the last 30 years or so, and all of them are still alive and thriving. I've never started a business that didn't make it, and I have attributed that to being pragmatic, frugal, I hate to lose, and have a AAA OCD type personality that works at warp speed. All those attributes do cause me problems at some point. I have way too much stuff on my desk. Forget stuff at times. Think that's my age showing. Get super stressed out and anxious at times and freak out if anything slips even a little bit. It's not all roses, trust me, but I wouldn't have it any other way. All that work keeps me out of trouble. Well, most of the time. Anyway, that said, 9 out of 10 businesses don't survive the first 18 months. That statistic doesn't surprise me. I can tell a person by their actions if they run a profitable business successfully and if they can actually do it over a long period of time. And I'm not talking about a lemonade stand. I'm talking about a viable business selling a product or service that people want and will pay for and then pushing it to grow and grow. Some of the ways indicating a successful current or future future business person is in my midst are simple things. In its simplest form, if I could give one piece of advice on why my businesses thrive is that I respond every time and quickly, no matter what the subject, business, or personal. Looking for successful people, both personally and in business, one thing stands out to me and one thing I look for is, does the person answer all messages without exception and in a timely fashion? Look, let's face facts here. We live in a world of high-tech, the speed of communication has accelerated. Keep up or check out. You may not like it, but your fiercest competitors do and use it to their full advantage. If they answer quicker and more consistently than you do, they'll bury you. Whether you're busy, don't like the person, or want to avoid the subject, everyone deserves an answer. A yes, no, maybe, or whatever. When someone sends you a message, they are taking the time to contact you, so respond immediately if you can, but as soon as you can. Doing an MBA, which means managed by avoidance, is rude, period. Everyone deserves a prompt response. If it's on a personal nature, respond. I can't count the number of people I message and never get an answer or get an answer days later. Lame. As for business people, if you don't respond to inquiries, don't worry. You'll soon have no inquiries to respond to. Customers want a response. The faster the response, the more orders you'll get. Just graph it. Faster responses mean more money in your pocket. You'll also be known as someone people can count on. Heck, I respond quickly, usually within a few minutes, but definitely within the hour if possible, even when I'm on vacation until I'm pushing up the proverbial daisies. That's the way I'll do it. It's called respect and good business. The same goes for phone calls. Any inquiry or reach out to me gets a response. If I don't have an answer, I follow up with a message that says, I'm still working on it. That way they know you didn't fall in a hole and then they go somewhere else. Do I drop the ball occasionally? Of course I do. Everyone does. But when I realize I did, I respond. 
Responding always and quickly not only shows you respect another's time, but most people, whether in business or personal matters, are woefully lacking in this department. When I find someone who answers my inquiries, I not only include them in more of my life, if in business, I give them more of mine. I work with a lot of insurance companies that sell competing products. I could use a variety of companies with good products, but I only use one. It's because my contact at the one I use answers me, always and without exception. And when he does, he streamlines my work, makes it easier for me to get answers, even on the weekends, and therefore gets all of my business. Concluding, consistent and fast responses will overcome a lot of other deficiencies we all have in business and our personal lives. Try and see the doors open. That's it for today's Money Matters. The views and opinions expressed herein are my opinions only and do not necessarily represent those of this media, its members, staff, supporters, or sponsors, and is not meant as investment advice, nor the opinion of any registered investment advisor, bank, or broker-dealer. I hold a BA in Economics with Honors, 1979, and California Insurance License, OL34249. Our website is moneymanagerradio.com, where everything is free, our way of saying Thank you for listening to your community radio station. My name's Mark Kuhnberg. That's our newscast for this Wednesday, June 20th. Head over to our website, kvmr.org, or subscribe to the KVMR News Podcast to hear more. Support for KVMR's Future of Radio Project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. I'm Claudio Mendonça. Thanks for listening and for supporting local independent media. Join us here tomorrow for another edition of the KVMR Evening News.